I'm gonna take one, baby. All right, fam, we are back with another episode of the Take One Podcast. I know a couple weeks ago we got pretty deep in our grief discussion, and we're just going to continue in vulnerability, so... Come on, come on. Here we go. Uh, so today we're talking about dysfunctional families and setting boundaries. Um, and so, like I said, we got pretty deep with the grief discussion, um, and we want to make sure we start this all saying that we love our families um but you know a couple weeks ago we all i think identified ways that our families have processed grief that weren't as helpful right so we recognize our parents our families were doing the best they could with what they had <laughs> at the time a lot of times they were doing what they saw um or just trying to figure out something different than what they saw um but at any rate you know we live in a fallen world. No parent is perfect. And so, um, yeah, I just want to put that disclaimer out. We love our families very, very much. We're not here to bash them. Um, so anyway, with all that, let's jump into it. So uh, I just looked up, like, what is a dysfunctional family? Because I think um, I don't even know what a functional family mm. is. We all have <laughs> Wait a minute, the, uh, Family Matters, Cosby Show, on TV. I'm about to say, did, did Reeves come up when you get <laughs> that? Uh. That Reeves Um But anyway, these are some things I just found on BetterHelp, uh, the website. It was saying these are some things that could create or um kind of come before a dysfunctional environment so this can be medical or mental illness um and it doesn't matter who it is but just having to cater to those needs and then other needs maybe not being met high stress this stress can come from divorce um a unhealthy marriage money um anything like that of course addiction perfectionism ineffective communication, lack of empathy, excessive attempts of, of control, lack of privacy and independence, and constant criticism. So if you think of those things, I know I said a lot, mm. um, but you can kind of see how some unhealthy patterns right. could develop from those different things. For example, um, if somebody, there's an addiction, especially with a parent that may make a child feel like they're not safe because they don't know what side of the parent they're going to get. If there's a lack of empathy, a child may not feel cared for, um, like they matter. If there's a lack of independence or privacy, that child may not go on to be um, independent themselves because they're always looking for somebody. Mm. So, um, yeah, not a therapist, not going to go too deep. We don't only have, you know, 25 minutes. But those are some things we can kind of use our imaginations to point to. Yeah. The five common roles, this is something that really resonated with me. So I kind of want to spend a little more time here. 
Um, the five common roles they, they listed were enabler or caretaker. So this person that uh, attempts to keep the family going despite the presence of addiction or any other dysfunctions there. We have the scapegoat or the troublemaker. This may be known as like the black sheep. Um, they may become sick, weak, angry, or rebellious, or all of those. Um, and that person's well-being is often sacrificed to maintain the family structure. We have the lost child or the quiet one. This child tends to spend the majority of their time alone, avoiding the family in the dysfunctional ways. We have the mascot. Um, this person that use this person uses humor or mischief in everyday life. The mascot is the fun one, the family clown, always trying to lighten the mood. And then we have the hero, and this person is, has an intense desire to succeed in life, which can lead up to suffering from stress-related illnesses. Um, the hero is normally a pro at covering up the dysfunction and making things look normal. This is the golden child. They feel like they have to be perfect to please their parents, all those things. So um, before I jump into the questions that I listed, sorry, I just thought of one. Do you guys like identify with any of these roles, multiple, like, um, yeah, and how has it affected you? Yeah, I would say identify with the third role, the lost child, quiet one. Um, I was, uh, I am the youngest of three. And, you know, growing up, I definitely was in, introvert you know if I can use that in my shell and uh, you know just asking the question like how do I fit you know in this family I'm not the loudest you know not the wittiest and so uh, tend to just seclude to myself and I think even to this day um, there's still some of that a lot of that you know um, naturally independent and that comes out in different ways so the third one I would say I identify with Yeah, um, I, I, this is Richard, and I um, uh, I can identify with a lot of them. To be honest with you, I <laughs> right. think I think situationally, I mean, I come from a broken home, so I had really two family units, and um, I feel like with my mother and stepfather, I was the lost child, quiet, um, just trying to avoid. Um, you know that family unit, if you will. With my dad, I. I really wanted to please him. I really wanted to get his approval. So I think I was probably the hero, um, which has extended into my adulthood, very goal oriented. Enneagram three and is probably from that pain uh, and motivation to get approval from my dad. And um, it's how I've, I have typically dealt with, um, uh, you know, challenges and, uh, suffering and so forth just get busy yeah I would say kind of similarly Richard that um I don't know the hero kind of sounds a little I don't know if I would call myself that but uh, yeah (laughs) I don't know if I would be that but um I I definitely you know want to succeed very goal oriented also Enneagram 3 so um Definitely, you know, a lot of dysfunction. I feel like I always was trying to bring us back, help solve the issues, solve the problems. Mm. But I was also kind of rebellious and angry. So, Mm. um, 
I was trying to hold everything together, and I guess I felt like that meant I could do whatever I wanted to do. So then mm. I was rebellious. So mm. I had to grow up early when you do stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like situationally see different things, but I do see myself probably overall as the hero, which is why for a while I thought I was an Enneagram three. Mm. Um, yeah. Because it was definitely like, I think, seeing, I'm from a broken home as well. Yeah. Um, my father wasn't around. And so I think seeing all the stress that was on my mother mm-hmm. um, was like, okay, let me be perfect. So I don't like, wow. you know, cause any additional stress mm. right. to what she's already under, you know. Um, Man. So, yeah. And I think like, there, this is, again, no shade to, to families or whatever. Absolutely. But it's just the way, like, we live in this broken world. And some of the roles that we end up kind of mm-hmm. stepping into. Um, yeah, so uh, speaking of that. So um, aside from, or I guess in addition to your roles, are there any unhealthy patterns or norms from your upbringing um, that you've kind of seen in adulthood, um, or maybe you even saw when you were a child, like this is not the way it's supposed to be. And then like, what has the journey been for you realizing some of the harm that it's caused? Mm. Like I said, going deep, you know, from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I can jump in on that easily. Um, I've been doing a ton of counseling over the last several months and really the last year, um, hard to believe it's been that long but and uh, I think what I've learned is you know how really your home growing up is a fishbowl and it's the only world you know and so you don't really understand that it's dysfunctional or you know there's sin patterns or you know you don't it's just life it just and you learn how to adapt that's what a fish does (laughs) and survive and move on and so but as an adult um, those you know you begin to see that break down when you begin your own family and you are facing life as an adult and for me um, a couple things my mother was really emotionally absent I mean just really shut down and I think she struggled deeply with depression Um, I think even well, anyway, I'll just say that. Um, and, um, you know, my father left our family, uh, big memory of mine, fourth grade, put me in his lap, said I'm leaving. And, you know, so abandonment really by my mother and my dad um, has bent me in a direction where I have to, I can't be rejected. Mm. I have to have your approval. And almost, it really got to a point of almost phobia, of fear of rejection. And as a pastor, uh, and as just an adult and a human being, I mean, you can't avoid rejection. And so, uh, so yeah, that, that kind of ran its course. And, you know, healing has looked uh, really good uh, in the sense that, you know, I didn't understand for a long time, done a lot of counseling. It's like, why do I need to name my pain? Why do I need to go back and do all that story work? And it's simply so you can bring it into the light and uh, strip it of its power. Yes. And that's pretty amazing. And so, um, you know, that, so that's what I've been doing is, and it's amazing now how I see my anxiety calming, uh, you know, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and uh, 
probably the rest of my life. So, um, yeah, I would say probably to make the most unhealthy patterns is is maybe um, a lot of no communication or unhealthy communication has made me a very we got to talk about this right now and not allowing space. Um, and I will also say just independent. So I was raised with all women. And um, so my I, it's my mama, me and my sister, and then my grandma, great aunt raised me. And so the independence that comes from just the being the person that has to help keep your family together and um, having to grow up early, I just struggle with feeling like everything is on me. And so being a wife and a mom, trying to um, allow my husband to carry my burdens, um, allow him to care for me, and feel like I have a partner in life has just been challenging, to say the least. And um, he reminds me very livingly, very graciously, and has even before we got married, just, you know, you don't have to do it by yourself. You know, you're not... You don't have to carry the whole load. You are being too independent right now, and you can um, <laughs> go, you know, scale back. And so that's probably some of the most unhealthy or maybe the most unhealthy pattern from childhood that I brought into adulthood. Yeah, for me, um, so I've always had uh, a broken relationship with my biological father, and um, I could just remember as a kid, him making certain promises to me, and he'll pick me up, take me to get ice cream or whatever. And I'm just like sitting in the couch, looking out the window through the blinds for hours. And my mama saying, he's not coming, Ted, he's yeah. not coming. I'm like, no, he's coming, he's coming. So after several years of that, I kind of just, this wall, this callus on my heart towards him. And it's like, well, I don't trust you anymore. So you can mm-hmm. say the best thing. And meaning, I still don't trust you because you had a track record that back it up. So for me, um, even in adulthood, because I've been hurt by empty promises, I'm on the other extreme end. I want to fulfill every promise. Like, I want to overly please people. And so when I say I'm going to do something and I can't do it, even if I I tell you I can't do it with good reasons, I feel bad because I let that person down. Wow. So that's how they worked itself out um, yeah. from childhood to adulthood. Yeah, yeah. I think the whole like perfectionism um, is something that I didn't really understand until adulthood. Yeah. Um, and like <laughs> wanting to do music and being a perfectionist just doesn't always go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I had this teacher that always said, you know, music happens in time. So once that note is out there, you can't take it back. Yeah. It's not like you're writing something. Wow. And you can like edit it. Yeah. But music happens in the span of time. And so wow. the whole concept of like no performance will be will be ever be perfect is just like ah, you know, for a perfectionist and just overthinking if I'm not, you know, just thinking it's the end of the world. Right. If I don't do every single thing, you right. know, perfect, which falls into marriage, which falls into life, career, whatever. Um, and just really, really having this fear of failure. Um, and yeah, like my journey, I feel like started 
um, after like discovering Brene Brown uh, and also hearing so many sermons from Richard. Um, I think when I joined the church, Richard, you were talking a lot about identity. Yep. And you are not what you do and stuff like that. So I think it was like, um, you know, the gospel for sure being preached in a way it was just like, yes, I'm not what I do. Yeah. Like if I feel I'm still a child of God. Mm. And like I read that book, like the the gifts of imperfection is like a bestseller. If anybody struggles with perfectionism, I definitely suggest you read that book. Um, But yeah, that's that's been my journey. Um, All right. So let's see. So we kind of started, I guess, talking about how it affected us. How do you cope? How do you um, try to peel back the layers of some of those patterns Mm. that have been like ingrained in you? You know, I think it's like what I said a minute ago. It's um, it's really deconstructing all the negative that, you know, really all those patterns that you formed as a child mm-hmm. and through, you know, childhood. And I think for me, uh, I was reading this morning uh, some quotes by John Mark Comer. We, uh, Rob Ward is at, <laughs> at a conference out in Oregon that he, and speaking, and he sent me all his notes. And um, one of the quotes is, our anxieties reveal our attachment. Mm-hmm. And an attachment is not a desire. It's an emotional state of clinging to a desire. It's not mm-hmm. wanting something. It's needing something to be okay. And really, that's just idolatry. I mean, Christian, mm-hmm. you know, biblical language, it's idolatry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think, you know, for me to be able to, uh, you know, number one, you know, we, we are, I'm always acting, we're always acting in accordance with a narrative that we're building in our minds. Mm-hmm. So basically it's to change the narrative. And yeah. for me, you know, lately it's been, I take blame a lot like mm-hmm. you, uh, Artez. And so I'm really... Um, hard on myself. I really think negative thoughts about me. If I'm if I'm not getting approval, even a slight hint of disapproval, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so you know, so changing that narrative to say no, I'm just human. You know, <laughs> I can be kind to myself, yes. and it's not the end of the world. And which allows me to defeat the phobia, if you will, and be able just to respond normally positively um you know not wake up in the night and replay the story fifteen thousand times and you know but wake up in the middle of the night and go no 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 that's a wrong that's a false narrative that i'm creating and even if that person is mad at me well people were mad at jesus you know <laughs> like all the time and yeah. killed him and so uh, my identity really is in jesus and so i can respond calmly and uh, in a different way, and so mm-hmm. deconstructing those, you know, narratives we're constantly replaying in our minds has been extremely helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Have you done like that in therapy, or do you feel like it's been a? Yeah, yeah, and I think therapy coupled with the gospel, I think therapy has really opened the door for me to apply the gospel in a deeper way than I ever have. Right. You know, mm-hmm. because, yeah, and I think that is the beauty of therapy is it's it's not the end all but it's another door that god can use to lead you to greater transformation in his love i mean you know it took me a long time to be able to say 
I need to be kind to myself because that mm. sounded so man-centered. Mm-hmm. But love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right. Oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to love myself? <laughs> right. What's that about? Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm an image bearer of God, deeply loved, chosen before the foundation of the earth. God gave his son for me to adopt me. You know, it's all there, but, you know, I think even my theology was, oh, I'm a wretched sinner. And, you know, <laughs> that's that needs to be my identity. And... So counseling has helped me see how that has even damaged me. Uh, yeah, I'm a sinner. I, yeah, but I'm also redeemed yeah. and yes. loved. And yeah. Absolutely. I think um, similarly, you know, life, and I think Richard said this earlier, um, a couple of minutes ago, but you become to think that your um, dysfunction is healthy. Or, or I right. did, I'll say that. So, right. um, and you don't realize, or I didn't realize that something was wrong. Right. Yeah. And so it's not until you can, you share your experiences, which takes a level of trust building and relationship with someone or yeah. in counseling. And someone's able to ask questions or you're able to realize or, you know, able to, to be taught that this is not actually healthy and yeah. this is not right. actually the standard of, you know, and and this is actually wrong or traumatic or insert the blank. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it took some of that, like just instead of hiding the dysfunction that occurred or just, you know, I'm, I'm myself apart from all of that. So in a healthy way for a long time, I disassociated. So disassociate myself with Whatever, you know, whatever's going on, I left my family to come to Memphis. And so I left them and all their stuff there and came here. Um, And so um, in a very physical sense, when I left, I left in a very emotional and mental sense as well. Mm. And so that that was unhealthy. But then through that, I, um, through just conversation, counseling, et cetera, have been able to really see that this this is these things are wrong and so how do I unlearn and relearn what is healthy and know that healthy things aren't of you know one size fits all but healthy can be adapted to what is good for my family and good for me Mm. I think you said something critical I was actually in therapy yesterday and you know he was just helping me identify you know some things that I was I was sharing on my father my mother and he was saying, you know, there are some things that I have to relearn, like mm-hmm. you said. Oh, I'm sorry, unlearn, Kels. And um, he said, you got to give yourself some grace yeah. on this journey. And that's been freeing for me because I know what not to be. But because I'm so zealous in what not to be, I could be uh, uh, a captive to the the ideal if that makes sense and I fall short of the ideal yeah. in my mind like I got this this picture in my mind like I'm not gonna you know uh, use certain tones with my my children or um, I, you know I'm, I'm gonna fulfill all the promises or all these different things and I realized like shoot I'm still falling short yeah. mm. he said you got to give yourself some grace mm-hmm. along this journey but even I thank God that he has given me the humility to say I do want to get better but also knowing that my kids will also have a level of dysfunction too right, um, in right. their lives. So as you said, Adrian, in the beginning, like we do have love for our parents and we're not saying we, you know, we grew up in dysfunction and the dysfunction doesn't exist at all in our own families, yeah. but they do. 
but I just been grateful just to be able to flush that stuff out and say, I do want to be better so that my kids won't have to go through as much um, as I went through. Yeah. And I think it's so important um, to name what we called and thought was normal. Yeah. And that's something I've really, it was a big breakthrough for me when I actually look back and, you know, or my counselor made me look back and, <laughs> and, you know, you know, my dad leaving emotionally disconnected mother, you know, he literally had to say to me, that was messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had to own that. And it's so consistent with my gospel. The world is broken. My story is broken. Yeah. But unless I'm willing to go there, I can't heal. It's something I'm like living a lie, mm-hmm. thinking it's normal, mm-hmm. thinking it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. You know, that's 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 preserving a lie that is keeping me, you know, bound to an idol of fear mm-hmm. and an idol, you know. So once you name it and bring it out and go, yeah, uh, my counselor laughs because. He says, you need to talk to Little Richard, you know. <laughs> and, uh, after a while, he's like, I can't call you Little Richard anymore, you know. But, <laughs> but, that's right. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, naming it is so, so important. Um, naming the brokenness and identifying it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely ditto for, for naming it and accepting it because I think um, – for me in, in therapy, the the uh, the breakthrough, I guess, my first time I actually cried. Because I, I told her my whole life story, like, with bullet points. Yeah. Know? No emotion. <laughs> no emotion. Like, exactly. Like, it's, it, you know, it just happened. You know, it's fine. Yeah. I'm not going to be one of those to just add, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I think she just asked me one question about, like, my childhood. Um, and she was like, it was something like, why did you feel like that was your responsibility or something? Wow. And I was like, I don't know. I just wanted to, you know. She's like, that makes me really feel sad for you because you didn't have a childhood. Right. I "I didn't. (laughs) 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 That's a good counselor. Right. But uh, I think it is just naming it because it's just like, I know my mom did the best she could. I know she sacrificed her whole life. Absolutely. On her own. I don't ever want to, you know. But you do kind of have to. Except reality. You've right? got to grieve it. Yes. Yeah. Literally yeah. grieve it. Yes. What you and, lost. And you're not betraying yeah. your family. You're not no. betraying your parents, but nope. you are looking at reality. And, and I think, um, able to being able to name it kind of helps you to break some of those patterns. Yeah. So, um, this will probably be my last question. Um, cause I know we're getting close to our time, but, um, how are you changing some of those patterns and like, the families that you're building with your children mm. and um, have you received any judgment or snide remarks from family members that may not understand what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say for me, words matter. And I mean, y'all can all agree with that. And I'm sure you, uh, you guys who are listening can agree with that, that words matter, uh, good or bad. And I grew up in a family they will, you know, I'm from St. Louis, so we call it joning down in Memphis to call it checking. But, uh, you know, the jokes and, you know, it's in it's in good nature and love, you know, um, that's how it's perceived from my family. But, you know, it'd be sometimes like stuff really hurt, but you can't show it because you can't seem bad sport or, you know, right. so uh, 
I'm I I try to be very intentional with my words around my kids and my wife as well. Uh, I try to be proactive with a script, you know, that's rooted in God's promises, you know, that tells them they are beautiful the way God made them, and you know, you're a leader, and uh, and all these things. We got a whole whole little script we go through, and so mm-hmm. I just feel like looking back in my childhood. I I was stung by so many words from my family members that they had no idea that, you know, how deeply rooted it was, right? And so, obviously, I don't do that perfectly, you know, to this day, but I am more mindful of my my words. But I try to grow in my tone, too. Uh, Ebony is is teaching me a lot. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm. And so, all of those things, if we're not careful, um, can build a level of uh, uh, pain, um, some trauma um, in our families if we're not careful. Yeah, I think for us, I mean, our, both Rachel and my family, she comes from a broken home too. Her parents divorced when she graduated from high school. And um, so for us, it's really trying to, you know, break the generational curse of divorce, you know, and, and all the dysfunction that goes with it. But I think, you know, the older I get, I think the biggest impact I have on my family is for to be very open about my brokenness and mm-hmm. my story. They yeah. see me going, um, you know, they know my hurt. Anything I've said today, they've heard that. And it helps them, it invites them into, you don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Being a parent, being married is hard. You know, living in this world is hard. And um, so I think the transparency and vulnerability um, is something I never had. And mm. it's been yeah. such a, a gift for our family because we have real conversations. Yep. And, you know, that's – so there is emotional connection. And mm-hmm. I, I just can't even imagine what it would have been like to have that. Um, mm. But I'm mm-hmm. thankful that our family does have that. Mm. I think even as a man too, Richard. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying women, you know, don't struggle with that as well. But as a man, a leader, you know – you're the patriarch right. of your family, but to show that level of vulnerability, that that's powerful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially in the culture of like, you know, men are, our society wants men to be right. not vulnerable, you know, right. rough, you know, and it's like, yeah. how can you lovingly father, lovingly husband, yeah. if you yeah. don't, if you're not emotional or vulnerable? Or, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can provide for your family. Right. But, yeah. You know, right. Financially, but that, yeah, that's but not, that's, right. that's a tiny yeah. speck of manhood. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, I think, criticism in my upbringing. And so, mm. um, I think I just try to, I reckon, I, I try to see that in myself and, not, you know, in my parenting, in my wifing, just try to <laughs> recognize where I'm prone to be critical and seek mm. to encourage or seek to, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like um, something as small as we got a new pot set a couple a month or whatever, some months ago, and uh, my son, who's almost two, decided to take it out of the um, cabinet and put uh, rubber bands and plastic <laughs> toys inside of it, and Ooh. I I was gonna say like you know no you know no don't that's a new but it's like it's a pot set you know right, and, and that's a, that's right. such a you know it's such a small thing but in myself I'm like he is ex- 
exploring and yeah, putting right. things into something. And so instead of stopping him from doing that because it's a pot, you know, it's a pot that is replaceable fully. Um, then how can I encourage and allow him to explore and express, you know, understand. And that's why we leave the pot cabinet open and don't have it locked. <laughs> but, um, so I think things like that. And then also communication, um, just not, I remember a vivid time a couple of years ago that my sister and I had got into an argument and we were seeking to reconcile. And my mom said, you don't have to do, y'all don't mm. have to do all that. It don't take all that. Um, just, you know, y'all sorry, let's keep going. Mm. And I was like, mm. no. No, no. <laughs> I hurt her and, right. you know, she hurt me. And so we really do need to have these conversations. And so I do that even now and um, try to just say, I felt this way. You know, you guys made me feel this way. So how can we talk this out instead of just brushing it under the rug, which is, you know, my underlying tendency that I had to fight hard against and was a lot of what we did, too. Mm, that's good. Mm, that's good. I think for me, I, you know, my child isn't here yet, but, um, well, she's here. She's actually <laughs> moving now, but she's not. <laughs> Come on, man. the womb, yeah. <laughs> um, I think coming from a broken home, yeah. it has kind of been um, pouring you know, my time and my energy into my marriage and yeah. having uh, mentors along the way mm. to help us. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing that I kind of saw growing up was a very bad view of men in general. Yes. You can't trust them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> They'll yeah. mess up your life. Don't give your heart away. Yes. All of these things will happen. Man. And I think one thing that I, and you know, uh, it's funny how your spouse will sometimes kind of identify certain things. Yeah. Um, but like really putting my trust in my husband and like, um, you know, leaving and cleaving. Mm-hmm. which. Right. Sometimes I think maybe hard on my mother, um, but it's like I know this is what is needed. This is yeah. what's required, <laughs> you right, know, in the right. Bible, and this is what's needed for me to have a good marriage that I can like, you know, be parenting in a good, healthy place. Yep. And so, yeah, I definitely identify with that. But okay, we are past our thirty minutes. Um, when All we right. come back, we're going to talk about boundaries. <laughs> With family, y'all. That's I feel like those are the hardest uh, boundaries. So y'all check us out in a couple of weeks. See y'all next time. All right, y'all. We out.